Okay, so this is our Q&A sec- uh, session on dating, relationships, marriage, children, um, with Jeff and Jessica. So um, Shayla and I are going to ask the questions today. So um, we're just going to go ahead and, and get this started. So, So we're just we're just gonna jump right into. Um, oh, with pride, I'll take this off. Is it work? Is did they win? They did. They won today, four three. Yeah. Who who won? Liverpool. Oh yes, they play she soccer. She knew that. Yes. <laughs> cool. You just yeah. settle down. Okay. Um, so we had a question about singleness, so we'll just go ahead and ask that one. The first question we got, well, the only question we got about it is, how can you tell if you are called to singleness? That's a great question. Snap. What do you think, Jessica? <laughs> really? For real. Hmm. Well, I kind of don't differentiate it from being called to anything else in terms of how you hear the Lord. Um, I don't know that there's this magic, you know, every person that feels called to singleness always and forever experiences this one thing. And that's how they know that they're called to singleness. So a lot of it, I feel like, is God knows how to speak to us within the design of how he's made us and who we are. And so just like maybe he might call you to campus ministry while we're here. Let's talk about that. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Or call you, you know, call you to any kind of, you know, anybody, anything, any place. Um, He could put, you know, use those same mechanisms to speak to your heart about a call, if you will, to singleness. Yeah. So I don't know that, I wish I could say. give your mic some love. It's up around your eye. Oh, that's weird. You'll be able to hear my tears. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Great. I mean, do you want to add to that? Did you have anything else? That's a fantastic answer. I think so too. I think she nailed it. She did. Okay. So, um, just kind of more on a personal note. Just what's the most meaningful date y'all have ever had? Right now. With 500 college students. No, it's the best. Come along with us. Um, I'm so, I want to hear, yeah, yeah. We should do a GoPro on a date sometime. I want to hear your answer to this again. It's a meaningful date. I mean, this isn't going to be like super profound answer, but Jeff and I love to play a thing called soccer tennis. Mm. And I think, I think that the best date involves play and, like, let's connect mm-hmm. at a more serious level. So sometimes mm-hmm. we'll go up on one of the tennis courts um, at Western's campus, and when it's not raining, we'll take a soccer ball and we'll play this game called soccer tennis. And there's actual official rules if you look online. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, where you just, like, volley the ball back and forth and, and you essentially are playing tennis but with your feet. And we're, like, perfectly evenly matched. No, we're not. It is so, it is so fun and it's, competitive. It's fun most of the time. 
tell them who wins most of the time. I don't feel the need to brag. <laughs> I, I was an athlete all through high school. I played intramural sports all through college. I thought I was pretty good at soccer. And pool. Uh, that's a different, yeah. She wins most of the time. I almost, and I'm like, okay, enough, Jeff. Like this, it's time. Let's do this. And she kicks my butt. So it's great. It's part of it's why so it's fun. fun. That is part of why it's fun. It's because I can win. But it's also like an element of play is really important is. for us. Because sometimes it, like, life gets so serious that it's yeah. just important for us to play. And I think, you know, there's that, there's that book out there called The Five Love Languages. Have you heard about this? It is not your Lord and Savior. I've heard too many people be like, hey, you're supposed to love me this way. <laughs> That's like the opposite of what that book's supposed to do. The book is supposed to empower you to love someone else not empower you with a club to hit someone else with, okay? So Jessica, one of, Je- one of the ways that Jessica feels most like her tank gets filled is by like asking personal questions, hearing about her life. So it's, it's, it's very much like a, almost like a one-on-one. That's what Jessica really likes. And I'm big on touch. I'm affectionate. I, I, like, to, I like to snuggle, I like that kind of thing. And so even when Jessica comes over and like rubs my back, I'm just like, oh. My, my He's tank like our son like, Jack. Yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, it's just like Jack. So if, if, our, if our date includes both those kinds of ways where our tanks are mutually filled up, mm-hmm. it's a really sweet date. And we both mutually love play. Yeah. And we love we do. sports. A- being active, going on a hike, that kind of thing. It's fun. There you go. That's super fun and sweet. I love that. Um, so our next question is more just like, what are y'all's general thoughts on dating sites, dating apps in general? Oh. Tinder. <laughs> Tinder, yeah. Tinder, yeah. Okay. Okay, wait, does, so, clarifier. Yes. Are you talking about, like, um, I think Christian e, like Eagle eHarmony? Is like that kind of thing? Yeah. Christian, Christian sites yeah. too, not just, okay. Yeah. I have thoughts. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go first this time. So, here, here's what I think. Um, I think that everything should be brought under the lordship of Jesus in every way. And so, I think there's a way to do Christian dating sites that is completely in line with being a disciple of Jesus. Um, I think that it's really important to do good research about some of the premises that these sites work with. Like, um, I've had friends who have, who have uh, experienced a number of different websites, those kinds of websites. What eHarmony does, they're the one that floats to the top of my list when I think about things that I've heard good things about. What eHarmony does is eHarmony does... Um, a number of these like early filters in terms of your worldview and your values that a lot of dating sites don't do. Um, what's terrible about a site like Tinder is that it's all external. I mean, it's a picture. You're going off of one angle in a certain lighting with a certain tummy suck in when the picture was taken <laughs> to see, you know, basically is, is, does this person turn me on sexually or not? I mean, that's about as low grade and base and, and really just lustful as you can get on terms of a dating site. So I would not recommend Tinder. Uh, I don't think that's the best way to meet people. <laughs> I think it's the best way to meet... Ah, never mind. I won't say that word. <laughs> it's just, I think it's just kind of naughty. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, but eHarmony, what it, does, what it tries to do is it tries to save you some time. Like, it's almost like eHarmony covers your first, like, few get-to-know-you dates. Like, 
this person is not interested ever in, uh, in, in Christianity, and this person is a devoted person who volunteers in their, at their local homeless shelter because they love Jesus. Like, you're just going to be able to choose, like, oh yeah, that, not that person and this person, because that's kind of what I line up with, or whatever. And so I've heard really good things about that. And I think there's probably a range of sites and what they do and don't do uh, that you'll have to do good research on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the la- I would say the last thing I would think on this is dating sites is not an act of desperation. I don't think you need to feel super like, oh my gosh, this is the last thing I could ever possibly do. I must be really scraping the bottom of the barrel if I have to go on a dating site. That is not true at all. In a highly mobile society where we don't like stay in a certain location for a very long time. Now that's a little bit different in the Dallas-Fort Worth area because there's so much like business here. You can like, actually graduate from college and stay in town. In Bellingham, there's just not a lot of stuff, reasons to stay in town. And so people are always launching to Seattle or to, down to Portland or wherever. And so in a highly mobile society, it actually is almost safer to go through a, a dating site because again, you, you, clear, you tick all these boxes first before you actually meet somebody. Um, so it's not an act of desperation, but um, any, uh, the, the, I would say don't, it's easy to, um, I'm saying a lot of things. It's easy to make dating so important that you just rush to that as your first option. Mm-hmm. Like, I have to have a girlfriend, I have to have a boyfriend. That's a totally different scenario that you've you got to work on. You do not have to have a boyfriend or you do not have to have a girlfriend mm-hmm. to be happy in life and follow Jesus. Jesus never did. Live the most human life possible. Mm-hmm. So, there, that's all. I agree with all that. Oh, good. Okay. We will disagree if we disagree with each other, by the way. We'll fight. <laughs> okay, this person says, I'm gay, and I want to know what you would say about me wanting a healthy Christian relationship. With the same sex or opposite sex? That's the, just... I Unclear. Read the it's unclear what the questioner is asking, but why don't you address, um, yeah, why don't you kind of, what are your thoughts on same-sex relationships and marriage, and then, you know, if someone is gay, how would you say they should go date someone of the opposite gender? Those are two different questions, yeah, so. two big questions. Yeah. You guys, it's so simple. I just thought, like, easy to answer. It's so, 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 so uncomplicated. <laughs> I'm joking. That's a really hard question. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Yeah. Glad it's being asked. There are so, there's so much to say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a big... Okay, let me say... <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you have anything that comes to mind right away? Because I have like 20 things that come to mind right away. I don't have 20, so why don't you start? Okay. <laughs> the, the highest, most beautiful, most profound vision of love in the New Testament is not a marriage. The most powerful, amazing, human soul satisfying vision of love is the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. If you read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, smack in the middle of that that series of chapters is 1 Corinthians 13, which is Paul's like ode to love, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and that's kind of the, the, the most beautiful picture of love that we have. It's this idea of, of, of self-giving, serving love, laying down your life for each other. And so what that tells me is that the richest experience of love possible is not in a marriage. The richest experience of love possible is in the family of God. And in the family of God, 
There are single people. There are married people. There are widowed people. There are uh, people who are called to singleness long term. There are people who are, who are uh, heterosexual. There are people who are homosexually attracted. There are people who have all kinds of sexual desires. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's we, um, our culture has idolized sex. So we've, they've said, if you're not having it, there's something wrong with you, right? So it's almost a, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, it's a whole a joke to be a virgin, right? Like, are you serious? You're a virgin? Oh my gosh, what? That's the cultural take on someone who hasn't had sex before, right? So our culture has elevated this, sex is the best experience, highest form of love ever. The church has joined the party by saying, well... You can't have sex till you're married, so marriage is the highest form of love you can ever possibly experience. We are aping the culture in Christian clothes. So I say again, the highest form of, of, of love that you can experience is in the body of Christ. So what that tells me is any vision of romantic love that falls outside of God's bounds for what it means to be most fully human is something less than his best ideal. But no matter where you find yourself on the spectrum of sexual desire, you still have access to the highest, deepest, richest, most profound, long-term vision of love for your life that you could possibly have. Because you belong in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. People very close to me are same-sex attracted. And the church has lied to them by saying, well... You can't ever have sex, uh, which means you can't ever have marriage, which means the highest form of human intimacy is just out of bounds for you. Sorry, you're going to live sub-intimate for your whole life. And I just want to say to you, whoever asked this question, mm-hmm. that is a lie from hell. Yeah. Jesus has never said that over you. Jesus was the most powerfully, humanly intimate person ever, and he never had sex once. So clearly you can do this full human life thing without it. So I think I want to, what I'm trying to do in, in, in saying these things is that underneath this question is, does Jesus allow me to have the most deep, meaningful, intimate love that I can possibly have? And the answer is yes, 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 yes. And it's here. You guys do this so well. You love each other so well. Brotherhood and sisterhood in the body of Christ is richer, deeper, more meaningful, and will satisfy you longer than even the love that me and Jessica experience mm-hmm. as a married couple. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what the Bible says, okay? Okay, I'm gonna take a break because I'm coming emotional. <laughs> and so on that foundation, that being the, that being the, the loudest word from God on the subject, there's also, you know, I don't know if we want to answer the question. I mean, we want to go into the, what do the scriptures say about that? Like, okay, well, Jeff and I believe that in, in light of that, um, that God says in terms of human marriage, that his design is between a man and a woman. Yeah. Um, Knowing now, as Jeff really put it really well, that's not the highest form of community. That's not the highest form of love. Um, but in terms of perpetuating the human race, 
um, and experiencing the institution of marriage, that that, that we believe his, the scriptures say that his, his design is for a man and a woman. Um, now, the question, so in, in light of that, is it okay in God's eyes for someone who has same-sex attraction to marry someone of the same sex? We would say, well, based on what we know of the scriptures, we would say, no, that's not God's heart. Um, on the question of does, does a same-sex attracted person sort of push through and marry someone of the opposite sex, you know, that gives me caution, a lot of caution too. I mean, I think that there's movements of thought on this topic. Um, there, is a tr- there is a train of thought that says if that, that God's ultimate goal for you is to be in a heterosexual marriage, so push through and obey. Jeff and I don't believe God's ultimate goal for us as humans is to be in a heterosexual marriage, that, that marriage is not the highest form of love and community. So I would be really cautious about that trajectory for a person who's, who's gay, who's same-sex attracted, to, to ignore that very real part of them, that really part of their desire. Um, now, that being said, there also have been gay Christians who have felt really led by God um, to, you know, in, in full communication with their um, the opposite sex spouse to enter into a heterosexual marriage, and the Lord has blessed that. Um, they've been open, you know, the one has been very open about their sexual desires and God has really blessed their marriage and their family. And so I don't know that there is, um, an answer to that because I think it could be really dangerous for some people to go down that road and it could be fine for others to go down that road. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think two, um, two things uh, that came to mind while you were talking, um, she used the term gay Christian. Here's what, here's what we mean when we say that. Uh, the book of James is very, very clear about what sin is. Sin is, uh, uh, there's, I, I wish I remember the, the verse. It's in James 1 where it talks about something like uh, desire gives birth to, or thought gives birth to desire, desire gives birth to, 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 to temptation, and temptation gives birth to sin. It's this process, right? Um, sin, sexual sin is, is, has to do with our choices, mm-hmm. has to do with what we act on, what we consciously think on and feed in our minds. Um, and so if you are experiencing same-sex attraction, if that's your story, uh, at, but you have not acted on it and you are working on managing your thought life and are trying to control uh, influences from your life that would feed that desire in you, you have not sinned. And there is nothing wrong with you Mm-hmm. You, are not ro- you are not unright with God, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for centuries, there have been... Ooh, back up, that's a different tangent line. Um, so it's really important to, to differentiate between people who are same-sex attracted and believe that God has said I am not, uh, that, that it's not his best to act out this sexual way of living. And so I'm going to choose to not act out sexually, which is what all of you are supposed to do until you're married anyway, by the way. Um, and so... And even when you're married, you need to not act out sexually. You're exercising yes. the same muscle. Correct. Right? Acting out sexually. It's not Marriage suddenly like did you're... not solve my problems with lust. No. Boom, boom. <laughs> you are not free from sexual temptation no. once you become sexually it's active with one person. It's the same muscle you're exercising. Yeah. My goodness. Um, so... 
I think I just want to say loud and clear, you can be holy, you can be a disciple of Jesus, you can be devout, you can be right with God, and you can lead others in discipleship and preaching and teaching them how to follow Jesus if you are same-sex attracted. You are not disqualified from participating in kingdom life because of who you prefer to have sex with. Thank God, neither am I. Neither are any of us. Amen? It's what we choose to do with that. It's what we choose to feed about that. It's what we choose to indulge when it comes to that. Anything, I mean, as a married man, I have to keep my brain in check when I'm walking on campus in springtime. Right, gentlemen? Yeah, for real. We just got to be careful. I'm like, I am loyal to one woman, Jesus. Help me out. <coughs> Actually, that's the wrong prayer. I'm loyal to you first, Jesus. And you've called me to be loyal to this one woman, so I'm going to be loyal to her too. But you first, Lord, because I should be able to sit, pray the same thing, single or married. And every one of us, no matter what our sexual desires look like, we, are, we all have to lay down our rights sexually. Yeah. Lay down our rights to ourselves sexually. God gets to tell us. That is a universal experience that is like if you experience same-sex attraction or you experience heterosexual attraction, welcome to the same general muscle that we're all trying to exercise. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, that, there's, that it, when we buy into this lie, this cultural lie that marriage is the highest good, um, and, and just for, the, for those of you who have been single for maybe a little bit long time, recognize that you've heard that lie even at home at the dinner table. Why aren't you married yet? Are you dating anyone? Oh, you're not? Oh. Mm-hmm. Or right? someone gets real over the top excited if, once you do start dating. Yeah, them, yeah. You're like, oh, why are That why means are some... that you've bought into the lie that there's something wrong with you if you're not in those romantic or, or married relationships, okay? It used to be, in church history, it used to be that celibacy was the highest good. Like, you were a serious Christian if you were celibate. <laughs> but uh, if you're too weak and lame sauce, I guess you could get married and have some kids. Just don't have any fun while you're having, making kids. <laughs> so the church just went, whoop. Yeah. We just flipped it. When really, Jesus says, there is no uh, uh, higher, better, more holy, more righteous uh, state of relating other than being in the kingdom of God. And so, if you're someone who is same-sex attracted and you think, ah, I, I've been disqualified from family, from lifelong friendship relationship, I've been disqualified from that because of my attraction, the Lord would speak to you, no, 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 no. In the body of Christ, you have so many kids. On a Sunday morning, how many kids do you see running around? They are your family to take care of in God's body. There are, there are how many people, I, I wish that, 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 um, that, that uh, oh, so many things I wish, uh, that married couples would include and invite single people into their lives more mm-hmm. because it would, it would undercut that lie of, uh, you know, we're kind of married and so you guys can do your own little single thing for a little while. If, if our communities looked more like mingling singles and marrieds and, and widows and not yet married and that kind of thing, it might communicate to the world like, oh, wow, my, my romantic status actually isn't, doesn't, doesn't, depend, doesn't affect how people love me. I'm just loved here. Then maybe a celibate lifestyle wouldn't look so scary. Mm-hmm. If we could love each other well, as the body of Christ invites us to love each other, then maybe this idea of I might have to go my whole life without ever experiencing intercourse wouldn't also mean that I have to go through my whole life without experiencing intimacy and closeness and loyalty and companionship. That's what I think the, the body of Christ has to offer the watching world. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it flies in the face of, you know, the whole... Yeah, that's, that's plenty. I've said that's good. plenty. Thank you. That's yeah, good. that's good. 
Thank you, guys. We're going to continue a little bit with um, the theme of sensitive dating topics, and we're going to transition into... Oh, well, that wasn't sensitive? Yeah, it was... Continue, continue. Continue. Oh, good. All yes. right, great. I, I apologize. Great. Um, yeah, so we're going to briefly ask you guys about, like, observations and thoughts you have on um, just the complexities of interracial dating. Like, what are some questions people should be asking as they're entering into those relationships or... Mm-hmm. Getting advice from people, things like that. I think, real quick, and if you want to talk about the thing we just finished talking about afterwards with me or with Jessica more personally, let's talk after. Like, yeah. I've got books to read, and there's just great stuff totally. out there. Uh, I, Jeff I, and I aren't in an interracial relationship, first of all. Um, I grew up in Kenya. But he grew up in Kenya. He's not Kenyan, I know. Hard to believe. He's not, he's not Kenyan. I have a so buddy, he, I have a buddy, he's a, he's a large black man, and he says, Jeff, you are more African-American than I will ever be. <laughs> yeah. Um, that means, like, African. Right. Anyway. Yeah, but, so we do have some, but there are cross-cultural, we have some cross-cultural stuff that we both kind of brought into marriage, not, not intensely. No. Less maybe than I, I kind of thought. My mo- less than my mom thought. You know, my mom's like, "You're Marion. <laughs> Where did he grow up?" <laughs> um, <laughs> she's not from the south. No, she's not. That's my southern interpretation of my very northwestern mother. <laughs> Say what, child? No. Um. So go. Uh, I I think maybe I'm just wondering with the question. Read the question again. Sure. I'll just reread yeah, yeah. it as they wrote it. This person asks, how should one approach the complexities of an interracial relationship? What questions should we ask ourselves? Yeah, so the, the thing that comes to mind for me okay. is um, when, we, when Jeff and I do pre-engagement counseling uh, with stu- students. But... I know where you're going with this. Can I say something first? Of course. Real quick, because what you're saying is true, but I want to say this first. It shouldn't be that complex. Like, I don't think it is necessarily complex. Right, like now, Jessica will go somewhere in just a minute, and the thing she's going to say is going to apply around the clock. I think I know you're right. Wait, let me look at you and see if I can read your mind. I can't. That always always works. That always works. Uh, Yeah, maybe and maybe I'm naive, but I've got some friends who are in interracial relationships back in back in Washington, um, and yeah. Okay, I'm going to interject. Yeah, go ahead. I think. I think, I think I'm saying something similar, and that's this. The same thing... Wait, wait, no, with- I'm going to jump in. No, just kidding. <laughs> this is going to get crazy. Over the top, Mumley. Um, Always. The material we walk through with our pre-engagement couples, looking at family of origin, looking at your family history, looking at your family values traditions, expectations, essentially your family culture that you were brought up in. That, that exercise of examining that in one another, negotiating that, communicating that, understanding that about one another, I would say it's this, that's the same, you're doing the same thing whether you're an interracial couple or not. Amen. That's us, yeah. Right? Whether, whether you look similar to, another, to one another or not. Because even if... It's interesting because Jeff and I look a lot alike, but he grew up in Kenya, right? So we've had to negotiate his family culture, which is very different from my family culture. Um, and so, you know, take the, I guess take the skin color, the appearance question out 
out of the equation. And I want to encourage all couples, whether they're the same ethnicity or not, you know, to, to, to undergo this examination of one another's family culture. Um, openly, honestly, um, with, with an open hand in case there's too many differences that need to be overcome where you discover maybe this isn't a good fit. Whether you're both white or you're both black or you're both brown or you're both, you, whatever. That should be part of a healthy examination of should we get married? So I don't know if I'd give a different advice to an interracial couple than I yeah. would anyone. I mean, again, I don't want to be naive either because Jeff and I haven't personally... I think navigating one another's family expectations, I mean, that might be interesting if you have parents who are like really against it, you know? I mean, that might be a point of navigation. But at the same time, you know, my mom was... She didn't have interracial concerns with me and Jeff. She certainly had financial concerns because Jeff was a missionary kid. His parents are his support. She's like, is this boy going to be able to support you? And then I'm like, actually, I'm going to join him in being a missionary. You know, it was like, right? So just, just trade the interracial question with like a financial one, right? I mean, and, and you're kind of in the same territory of navigating expectations and talking through worldview differences and listening, communicating, you know, all that stuff we have to do with our relatives mm-hmm. um, when we make a choice to make covenant with someone. Exactly. <laughs> You're so smart. Okay. Okay. So um, <laughs> that was really good. Should I, um, should I even attempt to date a non-Christian I don't want to really, I don't want to pass up a really great person just because they aren't a Christian. That's a good question. The question is, should I even consider? Mm-hmm. No. You should not even consider it. How can two people going in two different directions hope to end up in the same place? Now, here's what I mean. That does not mean, the second part of that question has nothing to do with the first part of the question. Second part of that question is, do I want to pass up a great person? Do you know how many great people don't love Jesus? They're wonderful people. They're better people than I am who don't love Jesus. Like, seriously, so one of my closest friends, I'm like, you are like a great human being. I can't, you're going to love Jesus once you decide to follow him. <laughs> and then you can teach me how to be as good a person as you are. It's not about how great a person they are or how much you enjoy their friendship or how, all the, any, that kind of thing. It's about allegiances. It's about your primary allegiances. And so I, there was, a, there was a, 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 a student in our ministry, um, she was involved in leadership, and he was on a journey, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know what I think about my faith, and they were both young when they started, and she got serious about Jesus, and he got unserious about Jesus, and decided to leave. And I was talking with him, and he said, he was the, he was the not, not, a, not a disciple of Jesus party in the, in the relationship, he said, yeah, I just like her so much, I love her so much, I just want to be with her. And I said, so help me understand, like, as you process this, what are you guys going to do with your kids? Mm-hmm. When one kid comes to you and says, where is grandma now that she's dead? How are you going to answer? And how is she going to answer? Mm-hmm. And you know what he said? Yeah, we'll just have to figure that out. Mm-hmm. That is completely unrealistic, my friends. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do on a Sunday morning? What are you going to do? What are you going to spend your money on? We have a friend who one gal, she came, or a, a, a partner in our ministry where she came to faith at our church and the husband didn't. 
and they own a business together and she wanted to tithe to the church. And her husband said, no, we are not giving our money to that organization. So she said, okay, I'm an employee of this business that we share. Can I give some of my money to the college ministry? And he said, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that's okay. But it was a source of significant tension in their marriage about where they would spend their money. How you raise your kids, what, what, what worldview you give, where you send them to school, how you relate with them on the deepest questions of life. Um, there's, there's just too much. Jesus is too central to what it means for you to live your life, if you're a disciple of Jesus, for someone else to have a different spinal column spiritually. And, and, the, and the, 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 the wreckage of people who try to make it work mm-hmm. is too significant. And you don't see that now. It just no. looks so nice. It looks like, oh, okay. And can, it, it's good. that feeling of like, if I pass this up, it may not come again. That's real. That's a real feeling that you're feeling. You know, whoever wrote that, it's like, because you can't, you can't foresee. And maybe this has never happened. Maybe this level of interest, no one's ever taken this level of interest in you and been this kind of caliber of, yeah. you know, good person, good guy. And I... Um, I just want to say, I want to recognize, I guess, that, that that is a real feeling. And then it might take, it's going to have to take um, setting aside your emotions in order to project into your future. Because the kids thing is really, really real. I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again where with that same train of thought, that same person thinking, if I miss this opportunity, it's never going to come again, and I'd rather be with someone who's maybe, you know, a pre-Christian or a baby Christian, rather be with someone than, you know, who's not ideal than not be with someone at all. And that is totally a lie, because I I know so many people who get into marriage 10, 15 years down the road, 20 years down the road, and they're like, oh... It would have been a lot better to not be married than to be in this situation that I'm in now yeah. and the complexities yeah. and the, the division of allegiances that we experience, you know, that looked so unnoticeable, undetectable at the time when we were young. Mm-hmm. Well, once life's complexities hit, like, like work, and finances, and kids, and I mean, that's when... Some of those deeper worldview things can be exposed, and it's been bumpy for friends of mine. Yeah. Marriage is hard enough when you both love Jesus. Yeah. Like, no, like just being real, like marriage is hard work. And I like her. <laughs> and she likes me. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. I no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to you. That took way too long. <laughs> But it is hard work. It is not natural to, 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 to lay down our lives for the person we've attached ourselves to. So if you're, if you're not on the same page with the most important thing in the universe, in your universe, you know, when I say you shouldn't even consider it, I don't mean like be, be, you know, don't be thoughtful and don't, don't really process it with your friends. I just mean it shouldn't be an option. It really shouldn't be an option. And it's unkind. A, it'll be, it's, it's disobedient to Jesus. And it's unkind to this person who, if you keep following Jesus, you'll have to break up with. Yeah. Brandon said it really well. You know how many times God has taken the heat for your cruelty? Oh, man. 
Take that very seriously. If you want this person who you think is great and you want them to know Jesus, do not date them. Yeah. Okay. Um, Our next question says, I've heard that in a Christian dating relationship, the guy... I'm sorry, hold on. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to start over. Okay. I've heard that in a Christian dating relationship, the guy is primarily the one pursuing the girl. Is this true? How do you guys feel about this? Hmm. Is it true? Well, is it? That's a lie. I guess it depends on what part of the country you're from, too, and, you know, like, what your culture is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, wow, we're from the Northwest, where I feel like people just break all those rules yeah, all yeah. the time. Um, I, I will say that dating is not in the Bible. So good luck looking for rules about how to we date don't have a verse in the Bible. For you. So what that means is even the, even the concept of dating is a cultural construct. Yeah. Some cultures don't even have dating. Uh, I mean, there's, there's many examples where like a date, a date, you know, our version of a date is this like highly, highly chaperoned stroll through a park where the two people are walking maybe 10 feet in front of every relative in the family <laughs> watching them to make sure nothing happens, Right. That's and they're weird. like, so, how are you? You know what I mean? Hey, so It's cultural. So I think, I think that it's important to recognize, like, anything we do when it comes to dating is a, is a cultural context construct. Mm-hmm. And our only guidance is biblical wisdom. And so that means there's a lot fewer rules and a lot more principles that you have to apply to how do I want to do this. And I think part of where it stems from in more conservative circles is... Um, you know, if you start, okay, if, if your end goal of dating is marriage, then the scripture does say things about marriage. And so I think what yeah. can happen is people start there. What does scripture say about marriage and a healthy husband-wife relationship? And then let's backpedal to dating, because that's in our culture how we get to marriage. And let's apply some of those same interpretations of what role a husband should have and what role a wife should have to that. So, I mean... Part of it does kind of depend on your interpretation of some of these marriage texts, which that's kind of a, that's kind of a big question. Um, but I know a, a helpful framework that we've used, because this has come up with our students as well, is, um, you know, if you, if you personally, based on your understanding of marriage, based on your temperament, based on what you want in a marriage, if you want a spouse who takes leadership, who, who, who leads you, then, um, you know, giving them that opportunity and the initiation of the dating relationship could be very natural, could be very telling, you know, of are they going to take the lead here? Well, if they're not the kind of person who takes the lead on this, you know, I, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure. Or if you, if you want to be the one. That, that takes the lead a little bit more. For Jeff and I, you know, we, he, brought, he brought it up and I, we had a conversation and sort of negotiate. It wasn't like he said this and I said sure and didn't say another word about it. It was like a, we, had, we had a mutual conversation about our relationship mm-hmm. that technically was started by him. Now, did I want him to start it? Yes. I did. I wanted him to what? initiate 
Um, I think I just, I mean, I don't know that I have a big theological reason for it. It's not because I have this verse of the Bible that says, like, Jeff should be the one. Like, the man should be the one. I have that verse. Right? I didn't want to. Didn't want to what? um, I didn't want to ask you out. I wanted to be asked out. Now, I don't know if that's because there's some, like, you know, like, universal thing in women that, you know, I don't know about all the books that say, like, every woman wants the guy to initiate. You know, I... I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I think about that. I know for me personally, which is the only person you're in charge of, okay, is you. <laughs> if, if that's, that's something that I, that I valued, that I preferred. I also felt like, you know, I was in leadership over Jeff <laughs> for a while. Like she was my boss. He was an intern and I was on staff and uh, I was like his, pre- his preaching lab instructor. Isn't that funny? Stop me how to preach. I was like, He's fine. <laughs> like, I can't say much by way of critique. But, um, <clears throat> but because of that dynamic of being in leadership in a kind of a position that was sort of different from his, I, I especially wanted him to take the lead. So it wasn't just me like, hey, I'm older. I'm in a, like a, a, a higher ministry position. Like, I mean, that, does he feel like he has to date me? Because I'm like older, you know. And, <laughs> and so I wanted him to be motivated to meet me as an equal and say, I want to date you as an equal. And, and that would be telling for me, like, okay, we're at a place of equality here and not me here, whatever. So personally, that's where I was coming from. Yeah. And personally, it was a big deal for me to ask her because I was so intimidated of her, even though we'd become friends. She's like a pretty cool lady and I'd respected her for years. And she'd always kind of been like the standard and suddenly I was like, I think I'm going to ask the standard out. <laughs> and I wasn't sure if it was going to work because she had been my like, like supervisor and she had been, you know, like, not like directly, but in, in certain discussions for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, plus I, the, the, the type of personality I am, I'm the first of five kids. And so mm-hmm. I, I kind of wanted to be the initiator with her. And I'm the youngest. A, it was a statement I wanted to make family, to her. Like, I really care about you. And I think that, yeah, yeah. So it, it's worked out fa- somewhat traditionally for us, mm-hmm. but that's not because we think the Bible tells us to do that. Yeah. It's it just kind of how our personalities worked out. We have, mm-hmm. a, we have a much more um, egalitarian theology about what, what our marriage looks like. Mm-hmm. Like, we actually don't believe that I get the final say on our decision-making process. I don't think that's what the, what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, and so everything has been a negotiation. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And there are other people, how, other very respectable people who have yeah. different interpretations. That's a legitimate, so if you yeah, totally. or your leaders would disagree with us. That's yeah, okay. That's we, fine. We know many people who have a different understanding than that. Yeah. Well, awesome. Get yourself in trouble, Mumley. That was kind of the next question. Oh, Just, hey, oh, do you okay. think the man should be the spiritual leader or in, in a further place spiritually than the woman? What's the last part? Or in a, should a man be in a further spiritual place than the woman? Like stronger, stronger, more further, mature. more mature, yeah. No. I don't, I, I don't think so. I don't think the Bible says that. I don't think, um, I think even the, the one that gets closest to saying that is, is the, there's, a, there's a text where it said, you know, like the, the headship text. That's a really tricky, academically complicated text that people really extrapolate a lot from. Um, even the, the one where it says, um, wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives, that, that verse, it's like, oh, see, wives are supposed to submit, husbands are supposed to love. 
That's Ephesians. That's Ephesians. You've plucked that verse completely out of the out of the context. Two verses earlier, it says, "Submit to one another." Yeah. So this assumption that like, well, because I'm the man, you're supposed to submit to me, but don't you ever love me, <laughs> right? And because and because you're the woman, I'm gonna say I have to try to say it backwards. Yeah. You, I'm supposed to love you, but I'm never gonna submit to you, as the man. Right. So that's 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 I don't I think that's a that's a that's a that's a an unhelpful and overly simplified reading of those texts. Mm-hmm. And again. This is Jeff and Jessica Mumley talking. We are not your... You guys got to figure out what you think about those texts for yourselves. Yeah. But I don't think those texts tell me that I need to be the, the one primarily responsible for the spiritual health of my family. In fact, what we've found is we are both blessed and our family is richer when we both take the lead. We tag team on leading our family. Like, mm-hmm. I strongly believe that my sons need to see a discipling woman in their personal lives as they learn how to grow and relate with women well. I strongly believe that, that they need to see a powerful woman in their lives so that they can grow up with a uh, believe, yeah, I believe, but I also just want that for them. Um, and so I'm... We, we share responsibility for discipling our children. We share responsibility for thinking through what Jesus wants to do for our family. Um, we pray a lot at the table, and one of the things we say consistently is Jesus is the leader of our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how we've kind of worked out our, our dating relationship. And again, a lot of that is cultural. Yeah. A lot of that is very much in the bounds of legitimate biblical interpretation. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily read it that way, and Jessica doesn't necessarily read it that way. But... You're allowed to read it that way. You're not like off the, off the rails if you read it that mm-hmm. way. But that's kind well, of Well, and what I would out. say too, and this is maybe even more important, is when you're dating, it's important to ask each other as you get more serious about marriage. It's important to explore that, to explore yep. that question. Because if your partner has a different understanding than you about that, yeah. it's important to, to, to discover um, and to talk through, you know, in real life marriage, who has the final say and who submits to who and what's your theology on that? What's your expectations for that? That's a really good plug for premarital counseling. Woo, 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 woo. So Seriously. much, you guys. Seriously, no joke. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of this stuff, it doesn't just come up when you're on a date. Like, <laughs> like you don't sit down and make a budget and compare notes. No, no, no. <laughs> So like maybe some of you do. do I, you bet, I bet there's some finances? of you that do because you guys are just that awesome. Uh, that's true. But you know, a lot of what you experience in pre-engagement or premarital counseling is it sets an environment for you to talk about things that you wouldn't normally talk about, but that you really need to talk yeah. about before you get married. Yep. Or before here, you here. decide should we get married? Well, and just because we kind of went there, just why do pre uh, pre-engagement counseling rather than premarital counseling. Why would you recommend oh, man. that? Once that ring is on, it's not coming off, right? And and mama-in-law says so. So the, here's <laughs> and maybe your mama too, not just your mama. No, no, fair enough, fair enough. Ah. I don't know. Both mother-in-laws. Um, I love your mom. Uh, oh, she's great. She's great. Um. Uh, the thing about it, and Brandon said this in, in, in the, at the end of the talk, that um, the goal of, of premarital counseling is kind of the, the last, uh, uh, the last 
uh, hurdle, uh, question, basically like, hey, are we ready to build a life together? Do we have what it takes to build our lives together? Let's get some older people who are a little bit more objective than we are in our relationship, asking us the questions that they know we should be asking right now. Let's talk about it. And once they, once they say, you know what, we think you guys would make, build a great life together, then you can get engaged. Because once you're engaged, things start getting reserved, deposits start getting put down. And if you start doing word premarital, gets word gets, gets out, out so all over Facebook. there's a social Facebook. pressure there, too. Oh, the picture's on the Facebook. Look. And you pose so the it's hand is the right Facebook. there. So it's like, blah. It's on the Facebook. We know. We've seen it. <laughs> But if you do premarital, if you have done none of that kind of counseling before and the ring goes on, then you do premarital and something significant comes up where the, guy, the couple says, actually, you guys are actually a bad match. You love Jesus, but you want to do this with money and that's not evil or wicked. And you want to do this with money, that's not evil or wicked. Or even a more holy example, you're called for sure by God to be a missionary to China and you're called for sure by God to stay in Dallas. You guys probably shouldn't get married. That's a weird marriage. Long distance marriage is not a thing. So holy, good callings, you guys probably wouldn't, wouldn't fit well. You both love Jesus to bits, that's great, but you're not going to be a good match. There's plenty of other reasons why that, that might work out too. But if that ring is on, that is a very hard call to make. Because then you've got to take it off Facebook. You've got to call all your friends. Hey, by the way, I know I told you to keep this date open. It's not happening anymore. Mm-hmm. You've got to have that conversation every time. Oh my gosh, what happened? Well, uh, so well, just do all that work 10, before the ring's on. Nine times out of ten, what we've seen is... People don't back out. They They just and they should. They move forward, saying, "We'll make it work. We'll make it work." And then it's just it's pain. It's painful. It's not impossible to to work that out. Our first, (laughs) our very first. So we we do pre engagement counseling, and so we trained with Brady and Shirley Bobbing. Had an amazing group of students, and then our first batch of pre engagement students. We had three couples, and they all broke up. All three couples bro- <laughs> broke up. Now, and we were like, Jeff and I were like, what did we do? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what did we say? But you know what we discovered? This was just, this is super unusual. Yeah. Like none of the other pre-engagement counselors in our church or in our ministry have ever experienced this. I mean, they were like falling asleep during pre-E. They were like one word answers or they were like, do we really have to do this? I mean, they, I mean it was like... <laughs> What is, what is happening with our like first round of this? And at the end, we like, you know, do like green light, yellow light, which is like proceed with caution, you know, or delay a little bit and red light. And we were like, red, we were like red light on, on all of them. And you know, yeah. you look at them nowadays, they are so glad they've come back and been like, we are so glad we did not stay together. Like, thank you guys. It's been actually really encouraging because at first we were like, what? Like, come do pre with Jeff and Jessica and break yourself up, you know? <laughs> like, um, and then we, since then, we've had some, you know, students who are super responsive. Students, no one's you know, ever asked us to do it again. Yeah, it's funny. No, just kidding. But, uh, but you know, yeah, they've come back and just been like, we did, we, we did not realize how different we were or how... Um, these issues were super incompatible. And, you know, so that was unusual, but it also serves as an illustration of, like, that that one of the options of pre-engagement needs to be, for for you to really experience pre-engagement counseling, one of the options needs to be, this may not work out. And that actually can be the healthiest option. And for those students, it was. Um, Yeah, breaking up is not a fail in a good, healthy dating relationship. No. In a pre-engagement experience, it's not a fail. Yeah. It's the, the goal is discovery. The goal exactly. is 
exactly. illumination of who is the other person. A healthy, good dating relationship can come to the conclusion, man, you are a great person, but I don't think we would build a good life together. Mm-hmm. God bless you as you go. Mm-hmm. High five. That's Peace. why you don't want to treat each other like you're married yep. when you're dating so you don't have those regrets yep. when you part ways. There you go. Yeah, and if you guys have more questions about pre-engagement counseling through Focus, we do offer it, and a number of our staff have completed it. A lot of people in our church families have done it and gone on to have successful marriages, so you have a bevy of resources here. Yep. Lost my question. Okay. (laughs) So the next question is uh, more about dating, and I think that's what we're going to be talking about for a little while. Um, So what's the biggest tip for making a relationship work? A dating relationship or a marriage? Yes. Uh, Yes, a dating relationship. Biggest tip. Being a dating relationship work. Mm? Um, I mean, the thing that comes into mind right away is dating in community. Um, there can be a tendency when you're infatuated with someone and uh, to sort of become absorbed with one another because it feels pretty magical. And, and it is. It's a, it's a magical feeling, that initial mis- mystery and discovery and um, emotions run really high, that it can be easy to sort of uh, stop hanging out with your friends or, st- or only hang out with each other or only go on dates with each other and not date in front of the community or with others kind of seeing how you interact and I just think having the eyes because as Jeff talked about if if the highest form of community is the body of Christ then shouldn't our dating relationships be embedded within that higher relationship Mm -hmm. Um, but I think sometimes we lean we can when we're young we lean hard on the body of Christ until we find someone and then suddenly we're like peace (laughs) and I'm going to lean hard on my significant other and then if it goes south boop I'm back in with the body of Christ and I'm leaning hard because I'm hurting and if you can as a person not pop in and out of community but like maintain those friendships spiritual friendships the same sex mentoring relationships and date within that so that there are other sets of eyes on your relationship I think that bodes well for you whether the end is breaking up or not um, that was awesome. Okay. Great. Um, should I date a, per, a date a godly person that I don't necessarily find physically attractive? Well, so you're how, married, Mandy. That so how be really weird? <laughs> should said person date? <laughs> no, Mandy. You should Let's not. Let's talk personally. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> Can't even get a question. No, I really out. wanted to do this, so I don't want to quit. <laughs> yeah. So, just how big of a role is physical attraction in determining who you date, and I think ultimately who you marry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a big deal, especially at first. Um, what I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I think it's, I think it. I think it's natural for that to be the first thing that you notice about someone because it's the most, it's the shallowest thing. It's like the first thing you see, right? Like, oh, that's their skin. Whoa. Right? <laughs> like eyes, hair, nose. Oh, as if my first impression of them is a physical thing. 
So that's okay. So it's okay. Yeah, for, that's not a bad thing. No, no, that's fine. I don't know. <laughs> don't walk up to me like, I like your skin. <laughs> that's weird. That is weird. Um, so, so it's not bad for attraction to play a role. It's very natural for attraction to play a role. But man, attraction is just silly. It's fickle. It, it's, it's super, I mean, gosh, yeah. It's, it, you cannot build a life based on how attracted you are to someone else. You cannot. Um, and what, what I have found is, I mean, I find Jessica stunning. I've, I've, I've always found her to be lovely. But what keeps me with her is my respect for her yeah. my, our, and our friendship. Like, I actually enjoy hanging out with her. She's like my favorite person to be around. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, so sweet. No, I just, See that's what I'm doing just, here that's right it. Now? That. Oh, yeah. Um, so, no, ask me a question about my life. Yeah. <laughs> so, how are you feeling about this time? How's my soul? How's your soul? Um, so the things like, the, the, the reasons that I have to respect her are her values. The reason I have to respect her are how she behaves around other people, how she hosts, how she welcomes, um, how she treats people. Uh, and, and the reasons that we're good friends is because we spend time together and we, we, we value the deepest things at the same level and... and um, those are the things that you can build a life on. Um, and I know couples who, uh, I, that's, what, that's, what, uh, that's what draws me to Jessica. That's what attracts me to Jessica. Um, and that's, that's, that's the most, those are the most important things you can build a life on. So, Can I say something? Yeah. I don't think physical attraction um, it, you know, it's not the highest priority, but I will say this, that, um, that if it's not there at the very beginning, give it time. Um, it, for some people, there's this magic attraction immediately. For some people, it's something you can grow into because often, and maybe I'm just speaking as a woman here, you know, um, but often physical attraction increases as emotional intimacy develops that those two things, you know, emotional intimacy, um, can fuel physical attraction. Um, and so, but I will say this, if it never happens, I, I would say pay attention to that and explore that because, um, one of these three pre-engaged couples that ended up not, ended up breaking up, that was a big that was a big problem yeah. for them was the one of the, uh, the, the, the guy was not attracted physically to the woman. And um, what that said to us was, I wonder what's beneath that. Like I want, because attraction isn't just this linear thing that there's, there's, there's the deeper inner companionship, respect, shared values, that all goes into the whole attraction package. Mm-hmm. And sustained attraction. And it's, yeah, sustained attraction, not just, just not, not just initial sexual attraction, but actually attraction mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a much broader term. And yeah. what we discovered in kind of saying, hold up, you know, hold the phone, let's explore that a little bit. The Christian answer isn't always just attraction doesn't matter at all. Because uh, the absence of attraction when you're at that level of the relationship where you're considering marriage, 
the absence of attraction can actually represent a deeper deficit, Mm -hmm. other missing pieces. Like maybe there are some values that aren't shared. Maybe there's some personality differences that don't jive. Maybe there's, you know, maybe there's just some deeper stuff. And what, what we discovered when we kind of blew the whistle with them, like, hey guys, you should wait and explore this. Like I want you to, we gave him some questions to go think about and explore. And in the end, um, he did discover, okay, there's, there are some deeper things here that contribute to this. And for her, she said, I don't want to be with someone who doesn't want me, like who doesn't find me beautiful, who doesn't find me attractive. Like, and she, what, the soundtrack going through her head this whole time was, this is as good as I'm going to get. Like, he's like, if I don't marry him, then I'm going to be alone. And we were like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, like, don't go into a marriage knowing this isn't, this, I'm not okay with this, yeah. but it's the best I'm going to do. And, and it, was inter- it was a fascinating couple because he was like really, really culturally very good looking. And she culturally, just by cultural standards of beauty, wasn't. So it was this very interesting pairing that, um, that, end, that ended up, we ended up just feeling very uncomfortable with how he was talking about his lack of attraction to her and how she was just sort of accepting it and being like, well, I wish he thought I was beautiful, but I guess he doesn't, but it's the best I can do, right? So what we found is unearthing that initial attraction question got to some deeper stuff that had there been compatibility down here, Mm -hmm. I think it would have led to an attraction between them. So, you know, I don't know if that helps, but it's just, it's a little more complex than just... I think too, if you if you if you elevate this love, this idea of attraction, then that makes the most important part of your relationship making sure you're attractive. Yeah. And that's not what a relationship is about. You don't. They they need to they need to like you for to to love you to be attracted to you when you are hideous. Yeah. We are hideous sometimes in life. And that's what I wanted for this girl because she she felt pressure. Like, what can I do to make sure he's attracted yeah, to me? Yeah, she was. She was like, I'm like, girl, yeah. I want you to be able to walk around in your scrubs and know that your man thinks yeah. you're beautiful. Like, yeah. that's what I want. That's what I want for yes. her. And I think there's someone out there who fits the bill. Yeah, maybe for her that she hasn't found yet. But yeah. I want. I don't want her to settle. Yeah. You know. Yeah. We're going to get old and wrinkly and saggy and weird looking. Oh, yeah. Pregnancy doesn't do you any favors. I thought you looked fine. but No, I know. But, you know. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Anyway. So. Or. 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 Let me just say this last thing. We have. We, I know a couple. A married couple where um, she got an injury. She. There was, there was, a, there was a, a, a cooking oil accident and it melted her face. Oh my gosh. I know. I'm sorry. That's so extreme. <laughs> That's, it's true though. I know. I know. I'm sorry. And, and, and it was like, and her biggest fear was, will you, are you now disgusted with me? And he said, I never loved you for your face anyway. Your face was bonus and I have more than I could, I could handle anyway. It's bonus. That's a good way of putting it. It's bonus. Your face is bonus. That's a lyric. That's a line. That's man. Jeff's I'm going to start write a song. rapping. Your face is bonus. So many people are taking notes and writing face is bonus. Face equal bonus. <laughs> yeah. You can't build a life on how you look. There you go. Um, the next question we have is, what are some non-negotiable traits we as Christians should look for in Christian partners? Non-negotiable traits? Yes. 
I mean, the, we've, we've talked about the first one. They need to be someone who loves Jesus. And I think a second one uh, is they need to be someone who helps you love Jesus. Um, there's a lot of really good Christian women out there who I probably would not have, have, have had a good, as good a relationship as I have with Jessica. Uh, not, and not their fault and not my fault. But there's, there's, you know, those, there's just a different, uh, a, a different um, way of relating with Jesus. But Jessica consistently pressed me. Um, she helped me love Jesus more. She helped me love people more. I was not only inspired by her example, but she would like speak into my life and be like, you need to stop doing that. That's, that's, that's dumb or whatever. And that was like, dang, I like this girl. There's some muscle to her. That. You said it, stuff like that, that I was like, whoa. That's serious. That's serious. I said even stupid, now, but not dumb. I'm just, playing, I'm just playing. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't true. say that either. And that's been a that's been a, a feature of our relationship ever since. That that she is is consistently her and the Holy Spirit tend to sound similar in my life. Um, and uh, yeah, so those would be I mean, those are two that I could that I would think of off the top of my head, non-negotiables. Yeah, and this is a hard one to say to uh, teach into like universal qualities that you should look for because there's just such a variety. Like you, you need to figure out under the umbrella of being a Jesus person, what do you value? You know, what do you, what do you value most? And that's going to look different from the the person next to you, maybe who's under the umbrella of being a Jesus person. Um, and that doesn't mean, oh, good, as long as they're a Christian, I don't need anything else on my list. No, no, it no doesn't. you need it some means, things on your list. Like, again, you means may you feel need like, to make a list for you. Yeah, you may feel like I have been called to overseas missions, and anybody I date who's not called to that is getting in the way of my obedience to Jesus. Mm-hmm. End of story. So, not a non negotiable for me, or I want to be called kids. overseas missions. I want to have kids. Yeah. You know, and that's a non negotiable for me, or, yep. or I don't want to have kids. Yep. Um, and those things aren't necessarily uh, Christian in, or non-Christian in nature, but no. they're unique to who you are. And that's why it's so important to take the time in college to get to know yourself. Yeah. Get to know who God made you and how he designed you. And yeah. um, get that feedback in the form of community. To, so it, it's possible to start dating. At, you know, Our brother-in-law started dating when he was 16 and ended up marrying his high school sweet, sweetheart. And then we started dating when we were 25. And and then his, his brother started dating when he was 30. You, you know? were 25. I was like 19. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Just. It's like this song that never ends. I know, I know. Goes on well, here's the deal. I look twice your age. So I have to like joke about I'm how I'm actually than younger him, than you. For the record. Yeah. Not like 12 years old. I always told my friends I was dating an older woman. Anyway. Um, it was funny. <laughs> to it, me. <laughs> it, it was funny. It was funny to you. Um, <laughs> um, How's anyways, no, what I was going to say is the 16-year-old has a very different experience from the 20-something-year-old to the 30-something-year-old. So, I mean, like, but what's nice is if you can hold off a bit, <laughs> it is nice because you can get in touch with your list. You know, what is your, what is your list? What are your values? It takes time to form and shape and give voice to. Um, so let that be an encouragement to start making a list. There's no harm in that. Mm-hmm. 
And there's, and there's qualities that are probably pretty universal that we could make anybody's list. Things like, I want them yeah, to be a generous person. I want them to be a grateful person. I want them to be, you know. Committed to community. Yeah. But, but those are, that's everybody's list. There should be a part of the list that's just for you. Like, I, these are things that I think are particular to the way God's made me and that I'm looking for in somebody that I think yeah. we could build a life together on. Um, so our next question is, how do you think, wait, what? Sorry, I apologize. I'm the worst. Okay. You're um, not the worst, Shayla. My goodness. <gasps> oh, thank you. Who told you that? Who told me that? Oh! <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm not crying. You are. Okay. <laughs> so... How should, how should young Christians decide when to be exclusively dating? Oh, I think that tags right onto what Jessica said before. Young Christians, uh, it depends on how young, but Brady, our, our director, uh, you'll meet him if you come to Sikkim, you have if you've been there. Um, he says, how do you know what kind of shirt to buy if you don't know what color pants you have? What that means is, if you don't know yourself very well, how are you going to find a good match? Right? So take the time. In college, college, you change, people. Oh, my goodness. You transform. You were like amazing transformers in college. Think of the difference in your own life as you look around. A freshman is really a high school senior with a summer break to a senior. How different are people's experiences? Right? I like, I th- if life is like orange juice then college is like orange juice concentrate. That you get frozen stuff you get at the store. So much stuff is packed into those four years. You are becoming the person, you have frozen orange juice concentrate here? Yeah. Okay, so you're all right. Just making sure. I'm just making sure that I get We're the We're not ju- that far from home. I know, I know, I, just, I don't know. Do you guys so, drink juice? Stop it, stop it. Whole Foods started in Texas, Jeff. Whole Foods started here? In Austin. Oh, snap. You know? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay, I backtrack. I'm sorry for making it sound like you don't have frozen Texas juice. Forever. Texas forever. Um, my point is so He's much, so, fun to so much transformation happens in college. You are becoming the person you're going to be for the rest of your life. And so... Why, if you're in such a transitional zone, why would you rush the process of hooking someone else to your, to your life? You don't even know who you're offering yet, right? You don't even know who you are yet. You, don't, you have no idea if you're a good person to build a life with, let alone if they are. So don't rush this. Do not rush this. That's why asking one of the questions you could ask your, your mentor or someone you trust is, do you think I'm in a good place to date yet? And then maybe do what they say. Don't do the, what Brandon talked about where like, you go ask that, that, that question to every person until someone gives you a, yeah, I think you are. Great. <laughs> they said, I think I am. I'm in. I'm ready to hit the town. Here I want go. them to mentor me. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so don't rush it. Uh, I don't know if there is a magical number. Mm-hmm. Halfway through your junior year, after the sun has moved past the whole... <laughs> there's no like, perfect answer for that. Yeah. But don't rush it. And, and, there is, and the culture will pressure you to rush like it. But also don't act like you're dating exclusively and not talk about Come it. Come on. Like... Like, because then that might be what, if you give that advice, like, don't date exclusively. You might be ready to date exclusively, but because Jeff Mumley said, wait, you're like, well, we're just going to act like it for a year or two and get all word. murky. So, don't do that. you know, it's okay to date exclusively. It, it is, it's okay. It's, there's not, you know, 
I think that if you keep what Jeff said in mind, but make sure that if you have a conviction, I'm, I'm not going to date during this season, then don't act like you're dating somebody. And oh. if you're going to date somebody, just call it that and directly, you know, ex- say, I want to experiment with this. I want to date you exclusively, you know. And Brandon so. talked about that. Call it what it is. If this is just a casual, like, hey, we're just, I'm just getting to know you, no strings attached, and I'm doing that with a lot of different people, yeah. like, say, say, be very clear with that. Yeah. If you're ready to be like, hey, I would like to do this with you and nobody else, would you like to do that with me and nobody mm-hmm. else? Is that cool? Mm-hmm. Like, just be communicative about mm-hmm. it and clear. But get yeah. some counsel on whether or not you think that's a good idea. Right. Should you break up if the temptation for sex or let's say people are sexually active, that's just really strong, or if they're sexually active, should they break up? Hmm. Again, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all here. Mm -hmm. It would be nice if there was. Yeah. Uh, but again, because scripture doesn't give us thou shalt date for this long and then thou shalt, and if thou shalt do this, then thou shalt do this and this and this. I wish there was. Um, yeah, I, I think that there, I think it would, the, the counsel would be different in different scenarios. I think that if um, you have a repetitive pattern of sexually sinning, and I don't mean like intercourse. There's a lot of ways you can sexually sin before the final moment, okay? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I appreciate how, how, how Garrett talked about it, like anything close to sex, like not even a hint of sexual immorality, anything approaching that zone is out of bounds. It, it's bonding in a way, physically, emotionally, spiritually, that you have not done covenantally yet. It's not fair, it's not kind, it's false advertising. I am committing with mm-hmm. my body mm-hmm. something I have not promised with my, with my, with my life and my intentions. Mm-hmm. I'm pretending we're covenanted. I'm faking you out. And it's actually stirring up intimacy in both of us that yeah. is false and not on a foundation of, hey, by the way, I'm going nowhere. You and me, will, whatever happens because of this, we are in this together. Um, so if, if you were in a place where you have been repetitively sinning and being together, it, you just can't seem to get out of that jam, then you may need to say, you know what, part of my repentance is at the very least we need to take a break. Yeah. We need to just take a break from each other. Um, yeah. other. There's other kinds of breaks you can take. Like, hey, let's just stop, let's, let's stop being physically affectionate with each other. Let's just put, a, a, put ice on the whole process. We're not going to kiss anymore. We're not going to hold hands. We're not going to hug each other. Jeff and I did like a one-month touching fast. <laughs> I call it dark December. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the reason for that was, the reason for that was, is we were, we had been, we were getting closer and closer to each other. We were finding it harder and harder to keep our affectionate boundaries in place. We said, you know what? We're just going to take a break. And we're going to see if we still like each other. We're going to see if end. we still like each like, other. It, or if we're just like, just so, we, you know, affectionate with each other. That's uh-huh. what, that's what this is built on. So we took a break. And there was one point that was really awkward. We were, uh, yeah. We were at a, at a wedding and they wanted us to dance. And I had to explain to somebody like, we're on a touching fast. <laughs> So I danced with like, his 16 year old like, little oh, brother. What? It was oh, awesome. It was, it was my first dance. But are the we mumbling. called to be countercultural or not? Yeah. So it worked. It was good for us. And it, it did some good, good things us. in our hearts. And it, it settled out some things in our relationship. We were like, okay, this, you know, this, can, this will still continue, minus affection if need be. So, I mean, anytime there's temptation with any kind of sin, you know, we yeah. have to figure out where are my triggers? When am I, when am I triggered to sin? And how can I. 
remove myself from that environment? How can that, I make that environment inaccessible to me? And for some people that means breaking up, but for other people that means, you know, doing what Jeff and I did or, you know, some other kind of, you know, removing the environment. I think it is really hard because you're still physically around that person if you're continue to date them, but I don't think it's impossible. Yeah. I think it would just be really hard. So I, how I, did y'all determine your boundaries and how should, you know, they kind of think through what boundaries yeah. to have in dating? Yeah. We had two lit, two like, well, pro- we'll we had you, two we'll processes. part one and part two. We had yeah. two processes. Part one was your standard list of things we won't do. Uh, we, <laughs> yeah. won't, we won't do these sort of, this list of naughty activities. I cannot list. Okay, I, I cannot list. And that was great. It was, they were very appropriate. We showed it to our friends. We showed it, I showed it to, to people on staff with me and was like, hey, does this look good? They were like, yeah, it looks good. That's a good, conservative, careful, thoughtful, wise process. Go for it. What we found was that there were plenty of creative ways to, get, to turn each other on outside of our list of should not do's. I remember we would rub cheeks together. We're not kissing, but we're rubbing our cheeks by each other. And that was kind of hot. Because you're breathing next to each other. <laughs> and it was like, whoa, so what do you do? Do you but make like this? that wasn't on our list. That wasn't on our list. Thou like, shalt we won't rub our cheeks rub together. Cheeks. Like, we, we, then we added it. So right? we added so it. List kept we shouldn't do that. Long. The list got longer and longer and longer. And we were like, this is a problem. Yeah. There are so many ways to sin. So then part two was that. This is Jessica's idea. I got a, I got a can, right? Like. A, a, a can, right? Like and a frozen I, orange juice. No. Like a vegetable can. Clean it out, right? Vegetable, okay. I put like a wrapper on it, and it was the can can. And what we did is we had a little date, and I was like, we need like a reboot on this physical boundaries thing, because it's just like not motivating, and it's not, not working like we'd hoped. And so um, we each of us wrote down things we can do. Like, let's make a list of what we can do and then just don't go outside of the can-can. And that's it. The list so of ways we, we wrote, could show our affection. I wrote that down a thing, like, here's what I want to do to show affection. We share it, put it in the can, you know, agree on it. Well, we, both, we both came up with our list independent of each other. I think this would be okay. I think this would be okay. I think this yeah. would be okay. And then we'd compare and, if, and we would go with the least common denominator. So whatever the more sort of conservative option, what more careful option was, that would go in the can-can. And so I, after part two, things were much, much better. Yeah, we had, it was like we could celebrate. It was like a, these are things, these are ways we can celebrate our, our care for each other, our love for each yeah. other, our interest in each yeah. other versus like, no, 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 no. Yeah. It was much more positive, it was celebratory. And, and it also clarified, we wouldn't have to like do something in the moment and then ask like, oh, is, that, is, is this over the line? Are you okay? Is this okay? Because when you're in the moment, you're like, it's fine. <laughs> Right? And then after the fact, you're like, ugh, I feel kind of guilty about that. And so the can-can was just, it, it erased all the questions. It was like, we know the answer to this. If it's not on the list, it's not okay. Even if it's tame. Even if it would have been fine. We just said, this is, simplifies the whole process. And things were much more helpful for us after that. It wasn't foolproof, but no. it, was, it was Other helpful. people, they lived really well with the first kind of list. Most, probably most people live fine with that first kind of list. Me, for me and Jessica, it just, yeah. it didn't work we for us. We needed to recalibrate. Yep. Speaking of boundaries, what kind of boundaries should people who are in a relationship have between their opposite sex friendships? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Ooh. Ghosts. 
I mean, I have kind of a simple answer for that. Yep. You got to negotiate it with your dating partner. Um, That's simple. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's because I can't give you like a never. I mean. You're allowed 10 words. In, here's the thing. <laughs> right. Never have a conversation with them. Like, it, like what we've noticed is in, in college, it's. There's like, there's like, I feel like there's culturally or socially, at least where we're from, there's like in college rules about this and then like post-college rules. In college is a lot more like peer hanging out. Like, hey, let's go grab coffee. Hey, let's go run this errand. Hey, let's just, you know, let's go hang out. Let's go do this or do that across the sexes. Um, And when you start dating, I think just having an open conversation about how, how does that make you feel if I hang out with this person? Like, does that, does that feel okay to you? Um, if the other person is like, that doesn't feel okay to me. It feels kind of, I don't really like it, you know? Then learning to defer then to your dating partner and out of respect is, is really important. Um, knowing that in college, that is more normative, that kind of um, just going and hanging out as friends after marriage and post-college, when it takes much more effort to go and get lunch or get, you know, and you're married, I feel like the rules, social rules change a little bit Mm -hmm. and territory gets more dangerous um, with that stuff. And so, so so yeah, you know, I I think part of it depends on what the social rules are in your community and also what your dating partner what their feelings are about it and making sure your relationship is a safe place for both of you to be able to say that doesn't I know jealousy's wrong a lot of people will be like I know jealousy's wrong so I'm not going to say anything and it's like no that's not that's not the kind of jealousy that scripture's talking about <laughs> you know that's like sort of a uh, if, if we're like starting the journey towards possibly making covenant mm-hmm then those feelings of ex- exclusivity are natural and are good mm-hmm. and are important to communicate. What about healthy boundaries surrounding opposite se- sex friendships while you're a single person? Mm. Boundary, okay, like emotional, about, like yeah, ba- emotional boundaries? Yeah, assuming you're Just not... Just like in friendships with yeah. the opposite sex while you are a single person. Right, yeah. Yeah. Good question. Do you have immediate thoughts? or? I, I think, um, again, it has to do with integrity. Um, integrity being what's on the inside is the same as what's on the outside. Uh, and I, and I, I, there's a whole, there's a, a, a consistency to my, so, so if I, oh, what do I mean by that? Where am I going with that? I think that, 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 that opposite sex friendships are great and fine in certain scenarios. So if, if, if one, of, one of you gets married, then it's important that the married person recognizes that now I have a more exclusive, uh, different opposite sex relationship than I'm supposed to have with anybody else. All my same-sex friendships, they're good to go. Like they should stay super strong, super healthy. You should hang out with them regularly. Invest that your marriage will be better if you have a lot of same-sex friendships in, in, your, in your life. Um, and opposite sex friends of those married folks, that's a zone where you just need to be okay with things need to, to, to scale back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if, those are, if that's your primary friend group, 
uh, then you need to, then you, there's some, probably need, uh, some room to grow in same-sex friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, because those can be lifelong, loyal, and, and not threatened by, uh, threatened is the wrong word, and not uh, at, ri- at, at, at the possibility of them transitioning the way that opposite-sex relationships can. Um, so I think the same kind of boundaries that you would have, you know, emotionally, if, if you find yourself becoming uh, drawn to the other person, attracted to them, more than just kind of the initial, like, ooh, they're kind of a, a handsome person or a cute uh, or a beautiful lady. Um, if it becomes something more, then you're going to have to process, like, do I, do I stay in this friendship that's feeding some, like, romantic interest? Do I, do I communicate my romantic interest in this, in this other person? Um, assuming they're single. Uh, if they're married, then, then feeding romantic interest in a married person is completely inappropriate. And, and that's to, an easy to, call. I mean, that's co- where it's an on easy call is like the boundaries yeah. are clear when it comes to marriage. Yeah. Where the boundaries aren't clear is when it comes to your question of single people. What are the boundaries with us? Because, you know, here's the thing. If you put up boundaries that are so intense and so far back from each other, you'll never end up dating anybody. <laughs> you'll never end up like getting to know someone well enough and building that you know, uh, intimacy with someone to be able to date them, right? So, I mean, I think there can be an overreaction to like, don't ever be friends, good friends, the opposite sex. I don't think that's a healthy boundary. I don't think that's God's heart for what the body of Christ should look like. It should be interdependent, men and women being interdependent um, in in a healthy way. Uh, And it's, in some ways easier when you've got like a group of married people because the lines are very clear. Like anything that fuels romantic interest within, you know, crossing marital lines is, is, is inappropriate. Um, but when you're in a setting like this, it's not bad for you to start having feelings for someone or for romantic interest to be fueled. That's not a bad thing. That can lead to something really beautiful and lasting. Um, and so I don't, that's why I don't know if I can give you like hard and fast boundaries for what this looks like. Cause I, if I do, you could not, they could be boundaries that inhibit a very good, healthy dating experience for you. Um, or, or make you so hesitant with the opposite sex that you never actually experience the benefits of mutual teamwork within the body of Christ. And this would be a really good question. And each of these questions that you've asked would be really good questions to ask people who you admire who are in these zones in their experience. Like way back to the very first question that was asked. If you know someone who is same-sex attracted, who you admire, and they're doing the the following Jesus in a single way really well, ask them about their experience. Mm -hmm. How do you navigate this? Let them inform. I mean, we're we're speaking from outside that experience. If you see someone who's been single for a long time, and they have great friendships, and they're they're a really fulfilled person, and they're not like just sitting around all the time like, I can't wait to get married. (laughs) Ask them, hey, what's working for you? What what seems to be feeding your your soul these days? And how, how how do you manage this? Like, ask people who are in those, those zones because yeah. they're the ones who know better than me and Jessica. if you see people who seem to have really healthy friendships with the opposite sex and yeah. are just able to maintain those well and mm-hmm. benefit from those and not mm-hmm. cross boundaries, accessing those people and asking them what, what, what is working for yeah. them, that is helpful. Yeah. Okay, um, this is a question someone else asked. I'm not asking it, but as a single person, <laughs> just to be clear, this person is single. As a single person, can you just talk about what some realistic expectations 
are about maintaining friendships with people as they get married and have children. Yeah. Here's what's tricky about that is uh, it's largely not your call. Um, And so this is a word probably to people who will get married and have kids. Don't leave your single friends out in the cold. Don't stop being the body of Christ when you get married. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is a cultural assumption that like, the, the nuclear family is like the, the, the first wave of intimacy and closeness. And I think that Jesus, when I, when I see really beautiful, healthy families, they're like these inclusive you know, different people at the table at Thanksgiving and different people yeah. come over after church and it's this, this welcome into what we experience as a family and, and mm-hmm. family takes on a different definition than just mom, dad, 1.5 children. Family is It's much redefined more, by Jesus absolutely, as absolutely. outside the biological absolutely. unit. And so to the single person saying, what do I do with the fact that my married friend has had kids or they're, they're less accessible to me, it depends on where your relationship is at. If you can talk to them about that, like, hey, I missed you. Um, I, is, is, is this how it's going to be? Are you cool with that? I'd like it to be otherwise. You can have that kind of conversation. But by and large, it's up to the married person to not disappear. It's up to the married person who, who ends up having kids to, to not disappear. To be invitational. Yeah. The yeah. other thing I would say, so that's, the, that's the, the married side of the equation. If you lead with, I need my friend needs met you're probably not being a very good friend as a single person to, hey, I need my, my single person friend's needs met. But if you lead with, hey, you just had kids, how can I help? Mm-hmm. Can I come to your house twice a week and do your laundry for you? You are my friend. I want to bless you. I want to love you. Mm-hmm. If you're a single person and you say, hey, you two married, newly married people and you have kids now, you probably need a date night. Can I be your designated babysitter? Because I care about you. I care about this relationship and I care about your relationship with each other. I want to baby. I want to watch your kids. Mm-hmm. So that it's, it's, the, it's, a, it's a relationship that continues investing in each other and not just one side, you know, I need this, I need this, I need this. Mm-hmm. The relation, a relationship can't survive that kind of selfishness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that if you offer yourself as a servant to your newly married and parenting friends, that's going to go a lot, lot further than, hey, don't leave me. I'm over here. Don't leave me behind. There's still a place to, to communicate that in a non-needy like, way. But, but yeah. I think but it goes it. a long way. It, it goes a long way. Just in friendship. I mean, that's just a word for friendship in general. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. is looking to serve and bless. Um, reciprocally with one another versus yeah. just wave the flag of yeah. meet my needs. Yeah. Great. Um, so this next question is kind of following uh, the way you were talking about seeing things through a new lens last night. Mm-hmm. And someone asked, what are some common misconceptions of marriage that need a new lens? Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone was paying attention. That you have sex all the time? I mean, just like to, that, just that to drop is that bomb right there. Or? No, I think I. Uh, <laughs> I think what would she say? <laughs> right, that's what happens all the time. No, um, no, I think there is, this, especially within a in a Christian um, culture, where that's not what you don't do until marriage. There's there can be this 
I guess, just expectation that now suddenly the floodgates are open and that's just what you do all the time. And, um, so expectations um, can be unmet, maybe, for some when they realize that's just such a very small percentage of your time in a given day, week, month. Your life together. Yeah. Yep. It is a piece and it's important, but it's not... Um, I think because it's so, for many Christians, so long awaited, <laughs> you know, that there's sort of this like, no, we just do it all the time. And um, yeah, so I think uh, a lens of um, healthy anticipation, maybe an excitement for that piece, but also recognizing there's many other pieces that make up a marriage and that um, that, that piece is not happening 24-7 or anything close. Um, I think another, I think um, a lot of people, and we, we touched on this before, but like that marriage is kind of this promised land. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, if I could just get married, then I would be satisfied, fulfilled, mm-hmm. not lonely anymore, etc. Um, that, I, I think that, uh, I think that's idolatry. Mm-hmm. You're asking something not God, to do what only God can do. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I, think more, I think it would be helpful if people saw like marriage is actually a, 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 tempt, a tempting breeding ground for idolatry because we're images of God so we look like him and there is no one who I will mistake more easily for God than one of his image bearers. It just makes sense, right? And so the times when I am depending on Jessica to do what only God can and should do. Why don't you fulfill me? Why don't you meet my needs? Why don't you help me not feel lonely? Why don't you blah, 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 blah. Then I've turned, I've, I'm asking her to do something she couldn't possibly do. And then I'm blaming her for not doing it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm frustrated and disappointed and, uh, for, for not doing that. The same is true with sex. Sex, mm-hmm. a sexually active relationship will not satisfy your, what you're looking for. Jesus will satisfy what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's why we need to like demythologize marriage. It is not the be-all, end-all, best way to be human ever. It yeah. is not that. You can live the fullest, most satisfying life ever and never, ever get married. Jesus yeah. did it. Multiple saints throughout church history have done it. And they are not less human. They are not, not, not less than people who get married. Just because marriage is a more common way to go doesn't make it the, the better, more fulfilling way to go. Now, I'm not, I'm not downplaying the struggles that a single person has. There, is a, there are unique struggles to living long-term single lives that long-term married people don't have. Yeah. But there are unique struggles that long-term married people have mm-hmm. that long-term single people do not have. That's right. And the, the balance, the scale is not tipped. Yeah. Both people feel like, man, this is hard. This is a hard life of following Jesus. The grass is always greener, I know, in some ways. Yeah. Um. Um. And that's why I feel like, you know... A lens for marriage um, that could be helpful is to imagine yourself still very much plugged into the body of Christ as a married person. Like there are things I have, um, I have a, uh, a few girlfriends who are the people I tell things to, <laughs> you know, that I may not even tell Jeff. Um, places that I process certain things in my heart, certain things in my life, um, that 
if I were to, and there have been seasons where Jeff has been that person and I've kind of neglected these other relationships and been really frustrated at points. Yeah, and lonely and like that, and then get mad at Jeff, you know, because he's not doing it for me emotionally or whatever, when when in fact he wasn't really supposed to be the end all be all. Or Um, I'm just not on my game and guess what? You marry a sinner. You marry us. I thought I was a nice guy until I got married. Realized I'm a jerk. I am a naturally selfish, look out for number one person. No, I will not help you with this. I am comfortable right now. Don't make me get off my chair. What? And then you have children. And you realize the depths of your depravity. Intense. So I'm just saying, like, who if I'm looking that? for, who told you that? Uh, the Bible. <laughs> so if I'm looking for a sinner to do something that only God can do in my life, I'm going to be very disappointed. That's what idols do. Idols are false advertisers. And it's true both ways. We cannot, there are certain things that we cannot depend on each other for because that's what God's supposed to do. And I will say this, you know, um, you also may be on the other end where you're scared of marriage because you hear things like this all the time. And you're like, is marriage just like hard all the time? Like why, like I'm scared to even think about marriage because gosh, I hear these married couples like, I don't know, like telling us the brutal, honest truth and it sounds really hard and painful. You know, we've had, I've had students be like, so why, why should I get married? <laughs> like, is it really this hard? You know, like, so we don't want to give, we also don't want to feed a false lens that says like, it's just like grueling all the time. You know, because that's not, that's not the case either. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're more speaking to those whose lens expects it to be totally fulfilling all the time. Yeah. That's we're, why we're, we... trying to, we're trying to neutralize the cultural soup of there's one way to be better than the other, and that's married life is better than the single life. And we're trying to neutralize it. Jesus never says that. Jesus says the life that is really life is a life that no matter what your station in life is, you're attached to him and you're with his people. And if our culture could get that, then maybe we would stop like, I just can't wait to get married. Marriage is the only thing that will satisfy me. That's idolatry. And we might stop being like, oh, the single life is like the worst thing I can ever imagine. I hope I'm single for as short as possible. That's what we're pushing back against culturally. And so marriage is great. Single Mm -hmm. life is great. Marriage Mm -hmm. is hard. Single life is hard. Mm -hmm. We're, we're We're trying to hold those evenly because it's a lie that one is better and more fulfilling and and that there's something wrong with you for not in one over the other, that kind of thing. How do you keep your relationship centered around Christ when you're busy with kids and work and things like that? Just mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. For me, you know, um, it's not so much about busy with kid and kids and work over here, so where's the corner of my day that I can be with Jesus? I mean, a quiet time is really important, and that's something that we've tried to prioritize before they wake up. But for me, motherhood, which has been my primary work for the last nine years, um, motherhood has been much more about learning how to be with Jesus amidst the work, praying with my kids, Mm -hmm. um, praying in the car on the way somewhere, talking with my kids, stopping and praying for that kid they just brought up at school. You know, like having a fluid relationship with Jesus amidst 
family life has made it a more freeing experience than like, ah, I didn't get my quiet time in this morning. There goes my day. Because that's not, I mean, and that can be a word for kind of for all of us, you know, if we compartmentalize our relationship with Jesus and limit it only to this one form of experiencing him. We miss out on all the like moments, moments, touch points, that fluid conversation we can be having with him throughout the days. And that's much more accentuated now that I'm a mom because, you know, you make your plan to get up at a certain time, but then the kid gets up earlier than expected, you know, or like they're up in the middle of the night and so you're like tired in the morning, you know, like you just hold on, I think, more loosely to, um, to those set routines. And I think one person I was talking to put it really well. There's, there's snacking spiritually, and then, and then there's feasts every once in a while. And um, learning how to not check out and just wait for the big feast whenever you can have that sacred space, but also learning how to snack, learning how to get bits of the word and moments with Jesus that, oops, just got interrupted by a baby, but that's okay, those snacks, like you can still live on that. In fact, some people think that's healthier, (laughs) you know, to kind of small meals throughout the day versus like one big, huge dinner. Um, And so for me, you know, it's been learning how to adapt to this, like, this is how it looked in college. This is how it looked before kids to now. um, I'm just starting to reenter that space where I can pretty consistently count on that. They're not going to be up at night. Um, and so this is new for me. Like, they don't come out. They can tell time, you know. They, they can't come out of their room till 7. They know what 7 looks like. And um, so we, we're just, I'm just reentering a place of like, no, I can really set aside a time and know that it'll be mm-hmm. pretty likely be there to be with the Lord. Mm-hmm. But I've also learned the art of snacking. That's good. I agree. How do you guys maintain your family bond with, um, or like maintaining the balance between like your marriage bond with your family bond? Does that make sense? Marriage bond with family bond. I mean, I think that you have to tend to the relationships in your life that Jesus has called you to. So me and Jessica work really hard to have a date night. Uh, it's, it looks differently in different seasons of life. Uh, like this year, for the first time, all three of our kids are in Awana, this like kids Bible program. It's great. Do we have any Awana graduates? Hey, oh yeah, look at that. Yeah, Love you know. That. Um, and so, and that's, that's on awesome. a Tuesday night. So we drop them off at Awana and we go on a date, mm-hmm. and then we pick them up from Awana and we, you know, take them home. Um, so, and, but it's looked differently at different times. Uh, there have been. You know, sitters are the, are the hardest part of when you have young kids and, and getting a date night. So if you know uh, some young couples who have young kids, if you offer, hey, could I give you guys a date night? Could I come over once a week and watch your kids for two hours? You do not know the blessings from heaven of perfumed goodness of God that you are offering to them. It, it would be so sweet. I, it, you would be so... Do that. Yeah. Do that. And then family bond, you know, um, Jeff and I have really found when he and I are tending to our marriage, that trickles down 
pretty directly to our family unit, to our family. Like the best thing you can do for your kids is have a strong marriage. I mean, I really believe that, that, that sometimes it's, it can be easy to neglect this in the name of this. Yeah. Um, but if you're tending to this, oftentimes this comes from the overflow of yeah. this. And yeah. so, you know, well, we're probably more committed to us getting a date night than we are like we have to have the five of us do go out on this outing every weekend or something like that which we try we try to do that periodically we have time we do have a uh, breakfast together every morning Mm -hmm. um and we try to do a little mini devotional Mm -hmm. (laughs) try emphasis on try Um, we we see it as if we make the time regularly then once in a while it'll be really meaningful <laughs> yeah. yeah. Eggs are flying, Egg. apple juice is spilling. We're trying to pray. Yeah. They're like, I don't want to pray. Or I want to pray first. Yeah. He prayed Shut louder up. than I did. We're yeah. praying. Shut up, kids. God help us with our anger. <laughs> but we hope over time they look back and remember, okay, this I have a culture of this yeah. happening and I value this. Yeah. yeah. Because and, I did it, yeah. for better or for worse. You and know? We're also really committed to uh, discipling our kids. And so, like, <laughs> I don't ever want my... I'm, I'm in campus ministry. I do one-on-ones regularly. I don't ever want my kids... I heard a horror story of a campus pastor's kid. He, he told it as, like, a cautionary tale. And he, he changed his, his ways as soon as he heard his son asking this question. Hmm. He said, Dad, when I get to college, will you do one-on-ones with me? Right? I said, my kids will never ask me that question. Mm-hmm. I am committed. So we do one-on-ones. We, do, we go on dates. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a, I have a weekly set-aside time for each of my kids where we go on a date. And it's an hour. And again, it's the same kind of thing. Like, we make the space, and maybe something meaningful happens once in a while. But uh, most of the time, it's just us connecting. It's just us it's getting time, time together. And I can tell, especially with my oldest, especially with Owen, when we haven't gone on a date in a little while, there's friction. And he needs some daddy time so that there's no, so the friction. Pokemon. They go play down. Pokemon. He learned how to play Pokemon just for Owen. That's love. You know what I'm saying? Oh. Just, Justin's like, hallelujah. Praise the Jesus. It started, it started as a sacrifice. And now yeah. it's really fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> I will never be Pokemon. Right? I'm just never going to be her. As much as they want me to be. Pokemon. Never. So good. So good. So, yeah. So we, yeah. So this is our last question, and it has to do with raising children. Um, What do you guys think is the number one advice for raising children in our current society? Very easy to answer, I'm sure. Dr. Dobson, (laughs) where where are you when we need you? Um, Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Let's talk about that. I have, some, I have some beef with Dr. James Dobson. We can talk about that later. Jeff mumbling. Um, I do. So should they? Um, number one advice for raising children in today's society. I, I have one in mind. I have a lot of things in mind. Well, I have one, and that was the question. So, um, <laughs> you go first. I always have. I'm getting loopy. Um, you know. I mean, have you, have you ever heard this from the front, you know, in, in like a ministry setting? Have you ever heard it said, like, try to remember your top three sermons that you've heard in your life? And you're like, oh, 
have a hard, kind of a hard, maybe a hard time remembering the top three. But then you're asked, like, remember the top, think about the top three relationships that have I, most affected I you. I ask them that at Sikkim. Okay, well then a lot of you've heard that. My, my Garrett trick. asks us all the time, too. Garrett well, does they've already yeah, heard it. Okay, Garrett, see, spoiler, Good. whatever. My so my point, though, is it's, um, it's the same with kids. You know, um, you might sit down and like teach them a lesson or like, or have this super teachable moment with them. Yeah. But what they're going to remember when they're older and what, what we, what we look back, it wasn't, I don't even remember. I don't even remember one gift, one gift my, my parents gave me. I don't, I mean, my Nintendo was pretty cool, but, um, like the early, early, Original. Yeah, like no, pre super, like NES. Like, pre, like yeah, Duck actually. Hunt, know what I'm saying? Um, so, so, the, so that was, yes, yeah, you know that you motion. Know, you know, yeah. you know. The blow, the, yeah. So, but here's what I'm saying is I don't remember most of the gifts they gave me, I don't remember uh, most of the like advice necessarily or the like. I remember relationship. You know, I remember time with them. Like out, like we would go do this together or we would go make this memory. Um we would we times that were relationship building were much more meaningful to me and much more formative to me in terms of instilling values, in terms of instilling faith. Um were much more instructive and formative to me than hey, read this book. Hey, you know, go do go do this thing. Or here's this gift that I want to give you. Like that. So I would say like prioritizing relationship um, is, has a shaping power in your kids that will stick with them more than most things you could give them or um, resources you could give them or mm-hmm. lessons you could formally teach them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, that, that phrase, truth is, is caught, not taught. You know, it's absorbed through relationship, mm-hmm. sometimes better than it is, like, overtly taught from the top down. Um, that's what's in my mind to say. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing that's been helpful for me is that uh, kids are not one-size-fits-all. Mm-hmm. So parenting is not one-size-fits-all. Um, yeah. There are some universal principles about parenting, like, you know, your love for them and the way you, you uh, live your life in front of them and that kind of thing. But you've got to, like, change your tack with each kid. Yeah. Um, that's been helpful for me to not just sort of cookie cutter all my kids in, in the way I relate with them. Mm-hmm. I think, too, like, there's a lot, and this would probably be a word for, like, young parents. There's, there's a lot of pressure to be awesome. <laughs> and if your kid's... There's so many are books. naughty, There's so many then books. you suck. And it's your fault. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I just, I think there's a lot of like, because of that, there's that pressure, I think there's a lot of like, just condemnation that, that, that there is, there's only so much control you have over the choices they make at each stage of their life. And there's a season where you have a lot of control. There's a high, there's a high level of yeah, boundaries you give them. One little. But, teeny, teeny. But you, you, your, your goal is to help them make choices and make decisions and, and, and grow into people who are thinking for themselves. And, um, I know amazing, amazing parents, like really, like I asked them, how do you do this? 
who one or two of their kids have just spun off and been just destroying their lives. Mm. And cruel people will say, "Mm, I wonder if they just weren't good parents. And people who know are like, we're praying for you. You have done your darndest with those folks, those kids, and we love you, and we're going to support you in this. I know other parents who, or maybe I should say, I know (laughs) friends of mine who are amazing people, and their parents were awful. So clearly there is no like magic sauce to if you just parent this way, then they will walk with the Lord forever and they will be kind people and generous people, whatever. So I think you've got to just walk with Jesus. Let, let yourself experience grace from him to like you're learning how to do this parenting thing too. Ask parents who you like their kids. Hey, how are you doing this? You guys are really killing this. Give me some pointers. Um, and apologize a lot. I think that it's time for parents to be humble with their kids and say, you know what? I lost my temper and I'm really sorry. Totally. Jesus does not want me to be like that. And when you follow Jesus, you will discover he's not like that. And this was a time where your dad did not act like Jesus. And I'm sorry for that. Mm-hmm. And I, would you pray for me? God needs to help me to not overreact like that. Mm-hmm. I am still a work in progress. And mm-hmm. I love you too much to pretend that didn't happen and that didn't hurt your feelings. And I, that's, my, that's my bad. It's on me. He's good I'm at really that. sorry. That, what a powerful demonstration of grace to your kids, right? So that was a lot of things, but. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, culturally there is, at least where we're from, there's a temptation. was about to cut you off. Oh, I was going to say, this goes with what I was saying, is that there's sort of this cultural, like, in order for you to be a good parent, you need to put your kids in all the things, <sighs> all the activities. They need to be proficient in an instrument or two. Three languages. You know, well, yeah, you know, they need to, they just need to, you need to give them the best possible shot at life and sports and, you know, get them involved in all the activities. And we're friends with people who they are running at a hundred miles an hour. And that, I mean, that's what I'm talking about, about when they, when their kids look back, they're not going to say, I know my mom loved me because she put me in basketball. You know, that's not necessarily, maybe that'll be part of their story, but it, it's, she spent time, she spent time with me. She, she heard me. She listened to me. She asked me, you know? Um, so just keep that in mind when, when you're feeling pressured, like in Bellingham right now, it's like, if your kid isn't in the door at like five or six playing soccer and you start them a little later, it's like, good luck. You know, they are like fierce competition. These five-year-olds are like bringing it and we stick our, your kid in and it's like, they just look bad, you know, but it's like, and there's that feeling of like, oh, geez, we should have started them at three, playing hockey at three instead of five. You know, it's like, what in the world? Like, you just constantly feel behind, I think, as a parent, like behind the, the, um, the, uh, the level of excellence we could be giving, you know, but if you look at it through the lens of relationship, I think that helps. Yeah. Well, um, I just wanted you guys to know we obviously did not get to every single person's question, but um, Jeff and Jessica are here, and if you have more questions, ask them. Mm -hmm. You can also come see any of our campus staff and ask your specific question. And then also, I just think framing this in, remember, this is like a short Q&A, and we did ask them some really tricky questions. you know, questions that are sensitive. And if you have more questions about how they answered a question, please go and talk to them as well. Um, so can I say something? Yeah. Extra too many? Here's, here's another thing that me and Jessica just want to say that's, we, um, have the utmost respect 
and co-laborer vibes with your focused staff mm-hmm. ever. Yep. And so we would be, we feel so uh, in line and in step with what your campus staff think, think and pastor. And we feel like we're on staff together, yeah. um, our, our, two, our, our two ministries. And so mm-hmm. I just want to, you know, we, we would agree with what your staff say and support what your staff say. Yeah. Um, and So go to them too. Yeah, they, they're going to sure. walk with you through stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like me and Jess are just hit and, hit and run. We just... Blah, advice, see ya. Right? I know. But these are the folks who have given their lives to you mess. to walk with you through these things. Fine. And I just want to I just want to communicate how much we love and respect and, and affirm and have confidence in your the staff who gets to take care of you. We, mm-hmm. they, they are awesome people and you are well, well cared for by Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So let's thank them. Thank them for tonight. And dinner is at six forty five, I think, right? Dinner, yeah. Yeah.